Ladies and gentlemen, what you're about to listen to is an experiment in sound. Call it treating your ear. I kindly ask that you halt all activities at the present and focus on these two men. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Madcap. I'm Ira Glass. Just kidding, I'm David Ross. And I am Daniel Bloom. We are really pleased to welcome you all into a very special episode of Madcap. We have one of the ultimate stars of the podcasting world here with us on this very program, Mark Marin, host of the WTF podcast. He is also the star of Marin on IFC, the independent film channel, and he was recently in this beautiful city of Washington, D.C., promoting his book, Attempting Normal. He did a book reading event at the historic Sixth and I Synagogue, which was wonderful, curated by Politics and Prose. Big shout out to those groups who were able to bring him into town. He uh, is doing book events this week in New York and in Boston before he'll return to his home pad in L.A. But we were very, very happy and pleased to be able to spend some time with Mark Marin. Tell the people where we spent time with him. I'll tell you where we spent time with him. In a very special location known as your car. Exactly. That's right. Honda CRV, silver, gray for the more traditional. Though you may not drive a gray big car. He's a very busy man. You know, he's got this show on independent film channel called Marin. He's got this book called Attempting Normal. He's doing these events everywhere. And of course, a bi-weekly podcast called WTF that is tremendously popular and deservedly so. So we began our conversation with Mark Marin by asking him if there was anyone in his vaunted list of almost 400 episodes now, David. Mm -hmm. And as a side note, we will be announcing... Who is to be the 400th episode very special guest? It might be God, it might not. So stay tuned for that. But we began this conversation by asking Mark Marin if there was anyone who he's not yet interviewed that he really wants to. Diamond in the back, sunroof top, digging the scene with a gangster lean, gangster white wall. Yeah, I'd like to interview Bob Newhart, and uh, I'd like to interview, uh, you know, I've not interviewed like Will Ferrell or Jonah or... Or Hill or John C. Riley. There's a, a crew of uh, of comedian comedic actors that I just haven't done. Like, you know, that are really popular. Like uh, any that uh, the Wilson brothers I haven't, or uh, Vince Vaughn I haven't interviewed him. And there's a lot of comedic personalities that are you know very popular that I just have not had access to. It's hard to get them. Who would you like to go to the grave and wake up so you could talk to? Pryor would be great, you know, and you know Hicks would have been great to oh, talk I to. Oh, love Bill Hicks. You never see positive drug stories on the news, do you? Isn't that weird? Since most of the experiences I've had on drugs were real fucking positive. Uh, how about a positive LSD story? Wouldn't that be newsworthy just once to base your decision on information rather than scare tactics and superstitions and lies? Just once. I think it would be newsworthy. Today, a young man on acid realized that all matter is merely energy condensed to a slow vibration that we are all one consciousness experiencing itself subjectively. There's no such thing as death. Life is only a dream, and we're the imagination of ourselves. Here's Tom with the weather. Yeah, I knew Hicks a bit. I didn't know Pryor at all. You got a Hicks story? Yeah, you have a Hicks story? <laughs> yeah. 
Hell yeah, I mean, you know, I, I spent time with him a couple of times. Uh, uh, How raw did it get? Well, he was a very intense guy and very focused on things, you know. I, I, there was a couple of, like, very signature Hicks things I remember where, you know, one time when I was living in San Francisco, he came and he headlined, and, you know, I went and watched him, and my buddy Jack Bowyer had given him some some book about the JFK assassination, and, uh, you know, it had one of these, you know, one of those things where you take an acetate, and at one page is an acetate, and you put it over another page, and it reveals something, and it was about the uh, the three dudes you know, who were supposedly on the grassy knoll, the Cubans or the, I, I don't remember who they were, but there were some bums around or something that were suspect. And I just remember Hicks was, him and I were just sitting in this diner and, you know, he's looking at this book and he's eating a cheeseburger and, you know, he's putting the acetate on and off. He's going, it's so clear, man. I mean, it's obviously what, I mean, how clear does it have to be, you know, kind of thing. And I'm like, well, I mean, that's the point of the book, Bill, you know, but yeah, okay. Like, you know, he's all worked up about that. But the best Hicks story was, uh, well, there was one time where, I, you know, he was living in New York briefly, and, you know, I remember, you know, I yeah, I knew he played guitar, and, and I was like, well, we should jam. He's like, I don't hang out with people. I don't, you know. <laughs> and, you know, and then eventually we worked it out, and he's like, you know, I went over to this place. He's like, I'd never do this, man. And I'm like, all right, well, let's just play. And, you know, I just, you know, and you could tell he was very used to playing alone because I tried to sort of follow him, but he was just noodling away. He was really good. But the best hit story really was... uh there used to be this show in New York uh, at the Village Gate, and it was a big room, and the show was like there was a host, and there were two comics that did the same amount of time, and then they had an improv group at the end, and the comic spots were like 15-minute spots, and it didn't really, order was not really important. It was just like a, a spot. And I remember that one night that comics were me and Hicks, and he was supposed to go first. And even if he, you know, did, you know, no matter what he did, whether he did well or he didn't, it was going to, sh you know, shatter the room. There was going to have some rebuilding was going to be necessary. So I remember I you know, walk, you know, walked up to him. And by this point, he had, had a few Letterman's. And I was like, dude, can I go, you know, first, you know, because, you know, I don't want to. I mean, you got Letterman's and stuff, and I don't, I don't want to follow you. And he's like, no, man, I got I to gotta meet a guy and play chess. And I'm like, I don't. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so whatever. So, like, you know, he goes on. Then I go to the bathroom. And I come out of the bathroom. He'd been on maybe three minutes. I don't know what the hell happened. But. By the time I got out, you know, the, he was crouched on stage at the edge of the stage. There's 400 people in the room. No one's laughing, <laughs> you know, and it's just tense. Yes. And he's screaming at this woman, you know, I'm a fucking poet. <laughs> I'm a fucking poet. And there's this weird silence and he sort of bounces up. And all you could hear was this woman go, well, then tell us a poem. And it was like crazy. It was just it wasn't funny. It was just the perfect, like the, like the perfect statement of disconnect. Like you know, like she didn't know what it meant for that guy to consider himself a poet. She was just like, well, let's hear a poem then. And then he just stands up and he goes, "Aren't you glad you didn't go first, Marin?" And I, don't, I have no idea what that meant, but there's a pretty, you know, pretty Hicksian moment. How much of a mindfuck is it to be like to have to entertain the audiences like nightly like that? Because I feel like it's hard to do that. I mean, it's a lot of weight. Well, you know, at that time, you know, you have to assume that most of those people didn't have any idea who he was. And, you know, and he wasn't, um, I don't think, anyone's idea of a mainstream entertainer. And, you know, for him, like, you know, he was notorious in alienating the audience and had no real issue with it. He, I think he preferred it um, because he really did his best work there. Like he would, you know, he would sort of find a space for himself up there. And if they weren't taking any of it, 
then like I think in his mind, well, now I'm free to say whatever the hell I want and, you know, and to try to get through. But for me, you know, if I go out and, you know, I, I, there's some cities that people know me, but you know, you still, you know, you got to do the job if you consider that, you know, part of what you do, you know, like, you know, well, I'm a comedian. I should be able to entertain anybody, uh, you know, anywhere, you know, even if they don't know me. So, you know, you do what you can, but you know, I can't really do anything other than what I do. So yeah, it's a lot of work. Uh, sometimes if they're a bad audience or they don't know you, but I can do it. <laughs> what was your favorite night ever doing stand up? What has it been? Does one memory stick out? I think there were some, you know, there, there's been great nights where, you know, the, it's not really uh, an important night necessarily, but just where everything clicks in certain rooms, you know, and they, those happen, you, you know, when it's, it, 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 there's a lot of those where, you know, whether I'm at like Acme in Minneapolis or the comedy works in Denver, you know, even Helium in Philly, there's some good comedy rooms around that are just great comedy rooms. Those ones I mentioned and, and a few others, you know, the punchline in San Francisco where, you know, where things are just, you know, just, or they're just great rooms for comedy. But I think the, you know, my first Letterman was very exciting doing my HBO special, you know, at the Fillmore, you know, when in 95, I think was a pretty important night. But the weird thing is, I'm not a religious person. I'm a, I'm a Jew. So if anyone wants to yell, shut up, you Jew, do it now. Good. <laughs> and uh, the thing is, it's like, okay, well, I'll tell you about Passover. Basically, what Passover is, it's a, it's a, a ritual dinner where we talk about the, the story of the exodus of the Jews out of Egypt. And then we, we, we have a service and a meal. And then there's a sacrifice of a Christian baby and dessert. And it, <laughs> Well, my family doesn't do that, but, you know, Orthodox, you know. Um, yeah, people are laughing, so people are going, he's, I've heard that. He's not lying. He's telling the truth. But, I, no, obviously I'm not, but I will be honest with you about it. I mean, you know, the great thing about being Jewish, really, is that, you know, we got all the money. <laughs> and um, all of it, all the money, and we run the media. I'm surprised I have time to do this. Tonight, you're playing our beautiful hometown of Washington, D.C., and you're not playing the normal room, which would be the improv. You're playing a shul, Sixth and I Historic Synagogue. How do you feel about that? Well, it's weird because, like, tonight's really a reading event, so it's not, you know, specifically a stand-up show, but I was just there uh, a few months ago doing stand-up at Sixth and I, and it was pretty, uh, it was pretty powerful in that, you know, like, it, you I had done one other synagogue show before, and I had been on the actual Bema before. I did a, a sort of a benefit show for the, for the synagogue that I grew up in in Albuquerque. They asked me to come back, and I was nervous about performing in the sanctuary. Did you have a bar mitzvah? Yeah. Oh, so you're back on the home Bema? Yes. Oh, baby. It was wild, and I was, like, nervous, and I was, like, um, you know, I said to the, you know, the, the, the guy, you know, the guy who'd been there since I was younger, the superintendent of the show, I said, do I wear a yarmulke? Do I have to wear a yarmulke in there? You know, because, you know, I mean, it is the sanctuary. And he's like, yeah, I think you do. And I did. And I was nervous because, like, you know, some of the older Jews were going to be there, but a lot of people were coming out from outside. And, like, and I, you know, they didn't want me to cuss. And I, I certainly didn't want to cuss on the Bema. So it was weird because, I, I, you know, before the show, I went into the sanctuary myself. And I went up on the Bema. And I just went, shit, fuck, cunt, God damn it, fuck. <laughs> and I said, like, look, if you're there, God, that was between me and you. And I just wanted to get that out before between us. <laughs> you know, and not, you know, with people in here. So, so no disrespect, you know, I, just, I think you get it. <laughs> this is going to be a bit of a personal question, but tell us the Mark Maron losing your virginity story. 
That was awkward. It didn't go well. Uh, you know, uh, I was working at a restaurant when I was in high school and, uh, and by the university. And, you know, and I think that, like, the guy who owned the place had a lot invested in, you know, me losing my virginity. And he, I think he actually was trying to get waitresses to do it and offering them things, maybe money even. But, but I ended up, uh, the, one of the waitresses, this girl Cheryl, who looked sort of like Diane Keaton, was kind of hippie. She like came up to me at the restaurant on a shift and said, today, come over, you know, bring champagne and, and we'll do it. What type of champagne did you bring? Yeah, I don't remember. You know, I probably, you know, now, I was 14, so I didn't even know where I got it. <laughs> I just probably wait outside, or 15 maybe. I had to wait outside a liquor store and get some guy to buy it for me. But I remember I was very nervous and it all ended very quickly. And you know, it, it, it <laughs> took a while to get into the saddle there. and. Uh, it was not a great experience. I, I don't think it, you know I really got the hang of of uh, sex until uh, I was you know my second year of college. What would you say to shift, shift gears back to the <laughs> less profane, I guess? What would you say is your favorite medium to work in? Because one thing that impresses me so much about your career is you're doing live stuff, you're a writer, you're on TV, you got a podcast. I mean, you're using all the channels available to you. But you started with literature, that's what you studied. Well, I studied literature, but you know, I was a performer. I did theater in college and I started doing stand up very young. You know, and, and I think they all have their, their different things. You know, getting on a live stage and now being at a point where I think I'm, you know, fairly fearless around it is a, is a great a great thing you know you spend a lot of years as a comic just pretending like you're not afraid and to actually have freedom of mind up there has been really rewarding but also acting you know it's not something i've done a lot of and having that experience and doing the tv show is a pretty great experience and like i really would like to get better at that like i'd like and same with writing i think you know not i don't really consider myself a writer but i know that i'm good at it but like you know you, you know there there are things that you do where i have to admit that i'm you know, a novice, and, and, and I think they're great mediums, but I could still, I'm by no means um, prolific or adept at them, and, and I think it's exciting to, to you know, I want to learn how to do those things better. Are you one of the litany of Jews who have tried their hand at musical theater? Never. No, I was very afraid to sing. I play a lot of guitar, and I played guitar the other night with a band, and I, and I play in my garage and stuff, but I was petrified of singing in public for most of my life. And I didn't really do it until a couple of years ago. I finally overcame the fear with some guys. Uh, Greg Barrett uh, did a rock show where you, he'd have comics tell stories that were music related. And then he'd have a band that would play the, a song of, of the band you were talking about. And you could play if you wanted. And I could play pretty well. But that was the first time I sang in public. And it was really it was great to get rid of that fear. Who do you hang out with? Who are your buddies? It doesn't have to be anybody famous. Just curious where you draw them from. Oh, you know, I, I don't hang out a whole hell of a lot, but, um, you know, like if I go to New York, I'll see my friend Sam Lipsight. Uh, he's a great writer, real genius, a uh, novelist. And, uh, Related here, to Robert? Huh? Related to Robert? Yeah, his son. Really? Mm -hmm. Awesome. Yeah. Great he's, sports uh, writer, right? Yeah, yeah. His son, yeah, his father's Bob Lipsight, the sports writer for the Times, but Sam's written like, uh, I think he just finished his, what is that, maybe his fourth novel or third novel, and he just released a, his second um uh, short stories. Uh, he's great, great, dark and hilarious. Uh, real genius. Do you like the dark space? You do. 
I do. I do if it's done well, you know, and he's he does it really well. Yeah, yeah, I do. Uh, but I also like Goofy. You know, a lot of the guys I like to watch are pretty goofy. But uh, my, my other friends, like tonight, you know, I'm going to see my friend Jim, Jim Loftus, who I went to college with, and I haven't seen him in years. He used to do advance for uh, uh, Clinton, and, you know, he's worked at, he's a political advance guy. Nice. But he's had quite a life. I mean, he, he went on to sort of, you know, do freelance advance work in Bulgaria. I think he bought a boat and sailed around the world. He shot a movie, a political thriller in Bulgaria with a crew he used to do advertise like you know he's lived quite a life i haven't seen him in a long time he's a good friend and in san francisco my buddy jack bulware who's also a writer is a good friend in la who do i hang out with yeah i hang out with my uh, my buddy ryan singer uh who's a comic i like him uh coop i seem to spend time with coop chris cooper he's a he's an artist yeah you know random not random those are my friends what do you think of our uh, of our fair city here, Washington D.C.? You ever had good times here? Yeah, man. I mean, I had a real weird time here. That when the, I think the first Clinton inauguration, something weird happened. Oh, do tell. Well, Jim was working, uh, you know, the thing, and he got me into all the parties and stuff. And I just remember like getting really shit faced. And in my mind, I think I had a shot at Uma Thurman, but I, I think it might be in my mind. Like <laughs> I got into some party where the stars were. And I think she was shooting me the eye. Want to dance? No, 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 no. I do believe Marcellus, my husband, your boss, told you to take me out and do whatever I wanted. And now I want to dance. I want to win. I want that trophy. Right. So dance good. All right. Well, in that case. But I, I didn't follow up on it. That was stupid. I ended up with some girl that I, I met at the tail end of the Chuck Berry show at one of the parties. We got to do our alma mater. We must do our alma mater. When I was a little bitty boy, my grandmother bought me a cute little toy. Silver bells hanging on a string. She told me it was my ding-a-ling-a-ling-o. So what? So what's uh? What's the next episode for what the fuck? I had opportunities. I get I get pitch people, and sometimes I'm just sort of like, yeah, why not? So I interviewed. I actually interviewed Marshall Crenshaw, and and another interview I did with Thomas Dolby. Blinding me with science. Yeah, love it. Yeah, and, and, and they were both sort of one-hit wonders in around the same era. And yeah, I, I talk to these guys because, you know, in your mind, you're like, what, are you, what have they been doing? And it's very interesting that, you know, most of them have been doing a lot of stuff. And, and so I'm going to do a doubleheader with those two guys on Thursday. Question, what, uh, uh, what is the craziest shit you've ever done to get a guest on the show? Well, you know, I don't know if it's been crazy, but, you know, the pursuit of Michael Keaton was sort of a crazy thing. Yeah, because like, like I ran into him at a at an airport in Fort Lauderdale, Fort Lauderdale, Florida. I was going there to visit my mom, and I saw him at the baggage claim, and I didn't want to bother him, you know, because I don't want to be that guy. But then he recognized me because I'd just been on Real Time with Bill Maher, and he's like, "Yeah, I saw you the other night. You're great." And I'm like, "You're Michael Keaton," and he's like, "Yeah." And I'm like, "I do a podcast. You want to do it?" He's like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah," and I'd, I'd love to do it. And, and 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 he told me his email, 
Like, I didn't have anything to write down, so I remember his email. So I was just, like, repeating his email. And then, like, I emailed him a little while later, and he says, yeah, I'm in Montana for a while. You know, stay on me. And then, like, you know, over the year, I, I emailed him, like, once or twice. You know, like, and he's like, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm going to be there for 10 minutes. Maybe we can do it. But then, like, you know, I'd kind of, like, given up on it. And I was watching the new Batman on uh, on the video like the last one on a screener and i'm like i should email the old batman and i go in and i email michael keaton i hadn't really done it in like it's probably almost a year and he's like oh yeah yeah i'm gonna be around tomorrow you can you do tomorrow i'm like yeah he's like all right text email me tomorrow so i email him the next day and he's like yeah i might be able to do it i gotta talk to a guy and i'm like what and then, like and then i'm like he says email me back so then i email him again i'm like are we doing this he's like yeah i'm coming over now and i'm like all right you need an address so i, yeah, I give him the address and he ended up like you know, that day sort of driving to my house at like six at night. You know, Michael Keaton just drives up and I just set the thing up and, and we did the, the podcast. And that was a that was a pretty crazy process. I know the 400th episode is, wow. is uh, coming up. And, and I think um, and this is the first time I said it, but you know, whatever. But I think that's going to be Iggy Pop. Because I've been trying to get him for a long time. And he came the other day to my house. Iggy Pop. It's hilarious. Well, it's not all that secret. I saw a picture of you guys on your Twitter no, I feed. know, but I mean, but it is like the, the 400th is sort of a, a landmark episode. And the other ones, we've done interviews, we've done special shows. But like, because I've been sort of in pursuit of Iggy Pop kind of publicly for, for years now, I, I think he's going to be the, the 400th episode. And our last question to let you go is, how great is the relationship between Jews and black people? I think it used to be better. How are we doing? <laughs> We're doing pretty good. It was good. It was, a, it, was a, it was a good ride in this car. I think, yeah, I think maybe it's coming back around. <laughs> All right, it is. On behalf of black people everywhere, since I am a authority figure on these things, I'd like to say that I think we made some genuine progress here today. Absolutely. Mark Marin has opened his soul to us. We have climbed inside and we have enjoyed the view. His soul has some nice central air in it. It certainly does. And uh, for all Marin fans out there, we want to make sure that uh, you tune in to What the Fuck, WTF, at WTFpod.com. You can find Mark's work at MarkMarin.com. That's M-A-R-C-M-A-R-O-N.com. His book is called Attempting Normal, his show on the Independent Film Channel. show is on Fridays. It is called Marin. What am I missing? He's got a beard. Beard, glasses. He's got a ring that says what the fuck. He does. And thank you for agreeing to do an interview in my Honda CRV. We really appreciate the fact that he's willing to pay it forward and spend some time with uh, a couple of young disciples in David Ross and myself. So thanks a lot, Mark Merriam. We really appreciate it. Yes, we do. And thank you for listening to Madcap. I am Daniel Bloom. I'm David Ross. Madcap is produced by Daniel Bloom, David Ross, and Asim Shapiro.
This is Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and I'm on Madcap. Boom. <laughs>